Hi everyone. We're going to change up the way that we start our podcast episodes starting today and for all future episodes, at least until we decide to do something else. We're going to ask each other a question from two different card sets that we have that are made to support connections and um, serve as icebreakers for meetings and trainings and whatever other uses you can think of them. So the ones that we have are called We Connect Cards and Big Talk Cards, and we'll have both of those linked in the show notes. Hope you like it, and please feel free to give us feedback. Hey, Kendra, what is the strangest thing you believed as a child? Hey, Lacey. Uh, I think I the strangest thing I probably believed was that my stuffed animals could talk to me. Oh, interesting. Um, I have no idea. I did listen to a podcast about somebody who believed that um, cafeteria workers were amazing chefs because they could cook more than just baked chicken because <laughs> their family had eaten baked chicken every night for dinner, like oh, every night. That's funny. But that's not me, though. Um, the strangest thing I believed as a child, uh, it's like everything I believe is strange, even now. I don't have an answer. I mean, think even if you think about the things that normal children believe in in America, like think about the tooth fairy, for the instance. To- Actually, <laughs> I was just thinking that. The tooth fairy I believed in, and that is weird. It, I mean, some creepy woman comes into your house and steals your dead teeth. Right. Like, that's gross. And then pays you for them. Yeah. Woof. All right. Um, weird things, weird things. I don't know. Um, I remember that I cried for days when I found out that Jesus died. Oh. Yeah, I was really sad. So I, that doesn't really answer the question either. But I do, my mom had to call the minister <laughs> and have him come talk to me because I was that upset. Wow. I'll take, I'll take that. Okay. I'll cool. take that. That's pretty good. Yeah. Today we wanted to talk to you about building a better presentation when you're thinking about really disseminating information of any sort. So let's start by talking about bad presentations from our own experience because you and I, we, I, all right, I think we build some really nice presentations that are designed for learners, whether they're adult or student learners. But in our past, I think we've both designed some pretty awful presentations, too. So That's right. Um, I know what I think an awful presentation is, but what, what do you think is a bad presentation, Kendra? I think when you get the slide deck and it's just all words, there's so much text on the presentation is one of my least favorite things. I have some personal experience with this in my own classroom as a history teacher, so Um, maybe our listeners are familiar with this idea, but say you're talking about something like the civil war, for example, or battles of the civil war, and you've got this great story to tell, like an an illustration of who was there and, and what happened and who won and how many people died and all this stuff. And meanwhile, behind you or beside you, you have your slide deck or your PowerPoint, uh, presented to your kids and you look up from telling your story or you look across the classroom and you realize not one single kid is relaxed and listening to your story or your presentation. They are all frantically writing down the words and the words, although important because they wouldn't be there if they weren't important, 
don't even need to be written down because in today's tech world, you could just share your presentation. Right. And I think one of the things to keep in mind with that is that people can only do one thing well. So if you have a whole bunch of words on a presentation screen for them, people can either read that or copy that or they can listen to you. So if you're trying to talk while there's words up there, the people can't do both. They, they have to choose one thing. So you have to prioritize what you want people to do. Do you want them to listen to you or do you want them to read what's on your screen? Right. Okay. Now I'm going to make this one step worse. So I bet to all of you listeners, I bet you've all been in a situation where you're they sitting have. in professional development and the slide changes and on the screen behind or beside the presenter are a whole bunch of words and then the presenter kind of like shifts and turns and then starts reading the screen. So there's so many things wrong with this. First of all, give us some credit. We can read. I mean, <laughs> this is bad anywhere, but please, you're in front of a group of teachers. Clearly, they are literate. They, they know right. how to read. And all right, and not only that, but you all have listened to audiobooks before. Your eyes and brain can work so much faster than somebody talking. So the time it takes for somebody to read the screen is what, like triple or even quadruple possibly the amount say. of time it takes to just read the words yourself off the screen. Right. And inevitably the person gets on a tangent or they stumble over the words and it you're at that point you just start checking out. And I think it's just really disrespectful to the people that are in the room that you're going to read what's on the screen. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes people will be like, well, this is really important. So I'm going to read it to you. Well, I mean, no, 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 not really. You could just say, this is really important. Why don't you take a second to read this and right. then talk to the person next to you about it. So before we get into alternative things that you could do let's talk about why the words are there in the first place because I think that people who present they want to do a really good job and they want people to learn and there's a reason why the words are all over the screen and that is in general is because it helps the presenter remember what they wanted to say exactly and it wants to the presenter needs a way like a, some kind of visual cue to keep on topic to tell the right story in the right place, to make sure that the pace is there. And so there are reasons why the words are there. But I think in this episode, Kendra and I would just like to offer you a different way to do that same exact thing. Something exactly. that's more engaging for your audience and something that can help you tell your story better, whether your story is fiction or nonfiction. Right. <laughs> so... Um, in our presentations that we design, if you look on our individual websites or even on our two tech coaches websites, pretty much everything that we have is visually oriented and we kind of have a rule. Um, I don't know, I'd say a rule, but more like a guideline of no more than five words on a screen because that's what, you know, after you get past five words, that's when you start getting full sentences and then it's no longer just a visual cue to the presenter of what you're supposed to say and when, then that turns into reading off the screen. It does. So we keep to under five words. And if since we do that, that means like there's a whole bunch of blank space. So if you can look at any of our presentations or imagine any of them, I mean, what else would go there besides five words or less? Sometimes it's no words. Oftentimes it's no words. Often it is. So Kendra, what, what do we do? What's our basic... Um, methodology is that the right word what's our basic thing what do we do when we make presentations to I think be our, engaging I think our approach to it is oftentimes using images that contribute to the work that we are asking people to do so we don't want 
distracting images. We, I mean, Lacey and I love animated GIFs. I mean, we love yeah. animated GIFs, but we try to use those very sparingly because we want to really keep things focused on what we're, what our message is. We want to keep it focused on the learning or the work or whatever it is that we're asking our participants to do. And I think it was really interesting. Lacey pointed out something about blank space and negative space is something that's really important when you're thinking about designing presentations. You want to have some negative space in there. You want some blank areas because it can be really distracting and overwhelming for people's eyes when you build a presentation. And I'll think back to when I was a teacher, I would jam so many words on the slides and put pictures and like every square centimeter of the whole entire screen was filled with something. And so it's hard to prioritize what's important when everything is there. It's almost like the thesaurus threw up on my slides. So you want to really keep it focused on something that contributes to your work, not distracts from it. Right. Okay. So another example of my specific classroom is once I switched away from this idea of having text on the screen, because I, I realized that the kids were only writing down text and not listening to my beautiful story, my I mean, well-crafted stories. stories. Um, and I switched over. In a history classroom, I used historical paintings or images of sculptures or things that were time period specific to, I don't know, to build the scene, I guess. To set the mood. To set the mood. So for example, when speaking about what kind of man was Washington, I would have on the screen um, images of Washington crossing the Delaware, which is a famous painting, and maybe his portrait that hangs in the White House. Does it hang in the White House? I don't know. And his portrait. (laughs) That hangs somewhere important. It hangs somewhere. And as I would tell my story about, you know, well, what kind of man was George Washington? Like, what decisions did he make? When were these decisions? How did it affect the rest of the country? All of these things. The students could get a sense of who he was and get an understanding of the bigger picture. And meanwhile, I could captivate them with my storytelling. I think that's a really good approach to this. And there's a way to do that in history classes um, with visual discovery as well. So if you're approaching this as a way of teaching and learning history, you can have those paintings on there and ask those questions. So what what about this painting tells you about what kind of man George Washington was? And then ask kids to come and show what what about the painting or what about this work gives them that clue. And so they can highlight a part or I used to do it with like a paper plate. So they would hold the paper plate over the thing so that oh, the yeah. item was in the plate. Right. And it would highlight the area. Right. And then we could talk about why they thought that or what led them to think that right so um not to get off on a tangent but if any history teachers out there are interested in resources for teaching through visual arts and how to teach kids to um look at paintings and artwork as historians would do you should check out the stanford stanford history education group sheg online they have a phenomenal bank of doing exactly what we're just talking about right now they do so there's that. But that doesn't answer everybody's question, though. Like for, it doesn't. For yeah. a math teacher, I mean, you're probably not going to go the route of too, mon- too many words, and you're probably not going to have too many visuals. I feel like math teachers are their own little creatures in this I, scenario. Yeah, and I feel like math teachers are so good at this because any math class I go into, I hardly ever see a math teacher with a presentation that is super wordy. I usually see them up in front of the classroom with the 
you know, a document camera or the calculator up on the screen, really going through the process of doing math, which is really nice. Like I, I was a history teacher. I would love if we could go through the process of doing history, however that looks. Mm -hmm. But in math classes, there's so, I feel like so many teachers are so good at just doing math, which is really great. Right. So good job, math teachers. You are our role models, I guess, in this scenario. For sure. So let's talk about some English teachers. So um, especially in secondary classrooms, this can be a problem. This whole idea of too many words on the screen versus trying to hear the instruction of the teacher or the background information or whatever it is. So Kendra and I found a fabulous resource thanks to Ann Bennett and Amy Treniff who helped us with this. But have you guys, you listeners, have you ever seen the the mysteries of Harris Burdick? And if you haven't, I would encourage you to go check it out on Amazon. But this is a whole, um, a whole entire book devoted to imagery to tell stories. And if I were an English teacher and my unit were a nonfiction unit for whatever reason, or if I were trying to do journal entries or story starters, I would totally take the visual route and use images from this book to have kids tell stories. But I, yeah, I think that's a great use for it. And there are a lot of other places you can get images from for journal entries and and sentence starters or story starters or however you're going to do it. Um, Some of the resources that we use a lot are, um, I love Unsplash. They have really amazing photos and you can search them for almost any topic or item that you're looking for. And I know Lacey likes Pixabay a lot as well too. And they're both free, copyright free. They're, you're, pictures are available for you to use in any way that you want to so that's something else that's really important when you're when you're thinking about images you want to model good digital citizenship and make sure that you're not stealing someone else's work without giving them credit absolutely so actually let's talk um let's talk about searching for images on google oh that's a great great idea quickly so i'm sure that everybody knows you can go to google and you can search for animal cells for example and get lots and lots and lots of different pictures of what animal cells look like the problem is and you are you may or may not be familiar that sometimes you can find the most beautiful image and throw it up there on your slide telling you hey let's talk about the cell wall and mitochondria and all this other stuff and then you put it on your smart board or whatever kind of screen you have to present on and then the picture gets fuzzy it's all pixelated it's all pixelated so there's ways that you can um ensure that doesn't happen yeah thank you i was half breathing and half (laughs) thinking i wasn't i wasn't totally sure what was going to happen next but for those of you who are interested in figuring out how to get really high quality high resolution images so go go over to google search for something click on the image tab and then on the far right of your screen or i don't know on the far right of the search bar it says tools click through there and then there's an option that pops up that says size and you can choose a specific size or you can just choose large and i think in general kendra and i i definitely i always just go for large because we do a lot of presentations and the things that we show are not the size of my computer screen. They're the size of 20 of my computer screen. That's right. It's like a wall. Like a whole wall. So um, going ahead and filtering out all tiny images by using that one tool in Google is really helpful for finding some beautiful images. It really is. And you'll notice that there are a bunch of other options in that tools thing within Chrome. Lacey, what's one other thing that people might use? So something that's super important that... Um, 
I think is underutilized is the whole usage rights area that as teachers we ought to model good digital citizenship and when we get images of Washington crossing the Delaware for example on this on the screen at least in my classroom I would have the image and I would also have the artist and where it hangs and I would get all my information and cite my sources but you can use the Google tools to find images by usage rights, which will tell you which images can you just use in a classroom, which ones can you use for your small business, which has nothing to do with classrooms, but a lot of teachers have small businesses, so that's important to know. Um, which images can you modify and that still be okay? There's a whole bunch of choices in here that can help you model good digital citizenship for your students. Right. And then that's a good conversation to have with kids when they're starting to work on whatever sort of product you're asking them to do to ensure that they're that they're being good digital citizens and practicing what you what you've taught them. Awesome. So um, let's see what other any other tips or resources or. I think two of our other favorite things um, are using Slides Carnival. That's a great place to go for templates if you're using Google Slides or PowerPoint. And it also sort of teaches you some good practices with design in terms of presentation. So it gives you ideas about how many words or images that could be on here. And it also has on the very last slide of each of the presentations, a whole bunch of icons that you can easily change the colors of. We really like them because they're pretty clean, they're simple, and they're easy to understand. Yep. And hey, before you talk about the next really cool tool or resource, um, like Kendra mentioned, Slides Carnival in their templates, it shows you what are some of the best practices. And it clearly, in every slides presentation, it says use images, not words. So this isn't just a Lacey Kendra idea. This is a this is best practices for anybody presenting anything. We're not just making this it's up. It's true. I wish this was just a Kendra and Lacey idea because then we'd be so smart. Yeah. But if you think about any sort of big presentation, like think about when Apple releases something new or think about a TED Talk or any sort of big, great example. big presentation thing, it's all pictures. I mean, there might be one or two words, but it is all images. And there's there's something that's so powerful about using images, like your reaction to them is so visceral. There's so many emotions wrapped up in these images. And it, it goes back to the whole, the uh, picture's worth a thousand words. I can show you a picture and a thousand words wouldn't even begin to cover what what's there, what's wrapped up in that for you. So when you can, you definitely want to think about using images because mm-hmm. that's going to really connect the learning and the work to something that's really personal to people, something that you wouldn't even necessarily be able to anticipate. That's right. And you know what we're missing, Kendra? I think that we can easily convince the people who already agree with us that this is the thing to do. But the people who don't agree with us, they're going to be very concerned about, well, how do I know what to say on each slide? So, I mean, there's there's really easy answers to this. But Kendra, what, what's your thoughts? Any ideas? How can I remember what to say on slide 17? For the longest time, we were using the presenter notes underneath this, the slides in Google Slides. And that worked really, really well for us. Um until Lacey had a brilliant idea mm-hmm. earlier this fall. Lacey, you want to share what your idea was? I pretty much 
just made a copy of the presentation and then took all of the notes that we that said like okay Kendra you say this and then Lacey says this and make sure you talk about this and I put them directly on the slide and then I ran a second version of the presentation on my phone so I could just look at my cheat sheet in my hand and it would tell me like the visually it would match up so if we're still talking about Washington and the Delaware and the background would be Washington so it would match on my screen behind me and then right there on my phone it would say remember to talk about whatever whatever I'm supposed to be talking about right it made presenting so much easier because the words were big and we could see them Mm -hmm. and we could just make make our way through the notes that we had already made for ourselves yeah and for the non-tech people for if say it's not going to work for you index cards for sure use index cards or print out your slides um just using your printer with the notes on them and just use eight by 11 index cards. (laughs) Yeah, we've done that before with the printed slides and just have Uh them up on a table where nearby where we're presenting and it that works really well too. So either one of those approaches I think can be really beneficial for you and for your your people. More importantly for your people because like Kendra said you can only do one thing really well at a time and listening and writing those are two different things. Um, Last Last resource that we wanted to share with you is the Noun Project, which is one of our um, newly discovered most favorite places to find really cool icons. There's a free version that everybody has access to, and you can see they use great digital citizenship there because if you found a cool icon of a banana, for example, it'll tell you who made it, and when you download it, it'll give you all the usage rights and everything. So everybody check that out. Yeah, we, we really enjoy the Noun Project a lot. Um, by the way, Noun Project, if you want to throw a subscription our way, we'd we'll love take it. it. Yes, we would love it. But the free version is also really cool, too. So everybody check that out. If you have any questions, you can always uh, find us on Twitter at Two Tech Coaches. And I'm Lacey. I'm on Twitter at TechNerdLB. And I'm Kendra. I'm at Tech and Teaching. All right. Bye. Bye.